Welcome to another episode of The Preacher and the Professor. I'm Donna Petter. And I'm Tom Petter. And today we're asking a question for Donna. So um, what did you do last Sunday, Donna? Well, I, I went to church, but... And what did you do at church? Well, actually, yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. I, was, I had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel... Um, at another church on the North Shore, and I was preaching. I was preaching from actually uh, Timothy. Yeah, and for those of you who are not in the Boston area, the North Shore is the North Shore of Boston. And so, yeah, you preach the gospel. So, is this biblical for you to uh, to be preaching the gospel like that, Donna? Well, you know, obviously the answer is yes because I was doing it, but there's more to the yes than that. So okay. do you want and to unpack it a little so, bit? Yeah. So today we're talking about the grammar of the gospel. We picked up this phrase from Matthias de Campus, a friend of ours, and talking about the grammar of the gospel and and the proclamation of the gospel. To, when we say we preach the gospel, first of all, it's a commandment, Matthew 28. Uh, it's, it's the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2. It's a shared responsibility, and preaching the gospel is not, uh, it's one verb, young in the Greek, it's just one word, one verb, and it's a commandment. And uh, the other thing, too, about who is to preach the gospel, they're all the servants, ministers of the Lord, and there's one catch-all term in the grammar of the gospel language that we're talking about is, is servant or minister. Where we and where we get the word deacon, and Paul calls himself a minister. You know, you got it's male and female. It's a it's it's a catch-all term about serving the Lord in preaching the gospel. So that's the the broad term of the mandate that we all have to proclaim the gospel. So that's part of the answer why my why it's it was okay for me to do what I did last Sunday. Yeah, and. What other scriptures you're thinking about, and and especially I think beyond the scripture, and as foundational as the scripture is, and we're tying ourselves to the scripture, obedience to God's word. How did this call and this almost like this uh, uh, office, or maybe not office, but how did this call come about in your life, Donna? Who who were some of the people who came alongside you? Early in your life, like 39 years ago. <laughs> Let me tell you, I was not looking specific. for this. I, exactly. I was not looking for this, and this comes out of the blue for me. But I was in a discipleship training school with Youth with Mission in Kona, Hawaii. And in that discipleship training school, we had opportunity to share our testimonies. And I just shared my testimony of how Jesus came into my life. And as a result of that, the leader of the discipleship training school... Dave Gustafsson, he pulled me aside, and I will never forget Tom. He said to me, he said, I think you have a promise uh, for proclaiming the gospel. And I thought, what does that mean? Because I just had shared my testimony. So Dave Gustafsson was very instrumental in putting in my ear this idea that I might be a witness, that I might be a voice used by God to proclaim the gospel. So that, it started with him, and then I started searching the scriptures. Yeah, and, and another way that you're saying sharing your testimony, that's a powerful way yes. to proclaim the gospel. So, so again, the, the, yeah. the broadness of preaching the gospel open to all, an obligation to all is we have to bear witness. And so that was a recognition by someone 
early very on, early. very early on in my faith journey. And who else? And so I also, I if also, you have other well, you know, I also felt very, um, someone named Danny Lehman, who is also a, a wonderful leader in Youth with a Mission, and he was in YWAM Honolulu, and we, he, because he is such a good preacher slash especially evangelist, he, he would take people, students in the school of evangelism, and he would take them one-on-one and kind of coach them on how to share the gospel with people. So I was in his school of evangelism one day, and he buddied up and partnered up with me. And here we go down, you know, and we literally sat beside some woman at, at a, you know, at a mall. I shared the gospel with her and she came to Jesus. And so he was watching me do that. But then I also had an opportunity to preach on Hotel Street, the red light district in Honolulu. And I just belted out the gospel again. I was just, I was just appointed by the team to, I guess, to be the voice. And without a microphone, I just preached on the streets of Honolulu. And so it was that also, that, that those circumstances where Danny Lehman and the people around me, they said, you know, I think that you need to think about the, the way that you proclaim the gospel. So that, that was very, instru- again, very instrumental for me to I saw the recognition of something in my life by other people. Right, right. And then there's a, there's just a sense of you, we're called, you're called to bear witness. And then other people bear witness to, 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 those, to this call. That's right. Yeah. I think one of there, there, I guess there's another text that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, after I was having pe- people who were mentors in my life tell me these things, I started searching the scriptures myself about my voice in the of the gospel. And there is a verse in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, that really became mine. And I can say to this day, and even it probably brings tears to my eyes when I, when I think of this verse, because I feel the same way today as I did 40 years ago about the proclamation of the gospel uh, through the teaching or the preaching of the word. Jeremiah says in verse 9 that if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And I, I feel like for hmm. me, there's, a, you know, there's this, especially now, Tom, in the, in the cultural context we find ourselves, I have this burning in my bones to proclaim the gospel because I'm actually very concerned for the well-being of the sheep that are under my care, whether it's the classroom or the church. I'm, I'm deeply concerned that people are being swept away, you know, by every wind of doctrine that's out there. I'm concerned that we're not thinking about how we're thinking about things spiritually. I'm concerned that the God of this world um, is is allowing people to make shipwreck of their faith and and be unstable in their beliefs and being tossed to and fro like waves of the ocean. And so it's really so strongly in me now as it was then to continue the proclamation of the gospel, whatever platform God gives me to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and just back to this grammar of the gospel mm. language, you know, there are a lot of variety of terms to describe people who proclaim the gospel. And Okay, yes, and, yes. You know, you, we always talk about Ephesians, that list in Ephesians 4. What, what, what well, are your thoughts on that? And so the, the list in Ephesians 4 is critical because it says that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work 
of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we're to grow up into him and speak the truth in love. And so for, for the, the, the word here in Ephesians, the goal of the proclamation, the goal of preaching, the goal of being an evangelist is not to be a good preacher or to be a great evangelist, but the goal is to be faithful to the word of God, to instruct people, to train them and to raise them up and to cause undiscipled disciples to be discipled. Yeah. And I think this list too exegetically, we don't want to go into too much of the detail of this, but it's important to, there is no elevation of the office of pastor, right? There's even exegetically a case that That's you could right. say pastor and teacher is, could be one. is one. That's right. And, and it's, it's, it should never be seen as one over evangelist Correct. or okay. prophet or apostle. And it seems that culturally, especially in North America, people elevate that, that position of pastor over the other no. gifts that are all connected to maturing, to maturing and proclaiming the gospel. I yes. mean, you've got Philip, who has four unmarried daughters who prophesy in Acts 21. And there is a legitimacy to... To, to all of these things. But the question I have for you, Donna, is this for you a, a power grab, a title? You want that title, whatever <laughs> title it is that you feel entitled. How has that worked in your life? Uh, well, that, that again, I did. this was not something I looked for. This was not something I even thought I would do in my wildest imagination. But when I started reading the Word and studying the Word, it just consumed me, and I fell in love with the Word. And I, I, I just knew that I needed to disciple people, train people in the Word of God, and that burning that started early on is continued in me now. And, and I realized this, that I've realized this especially when I understand Ephesians, is that the role of shepherding and teaching people is not a celebrity role. So I was never looking for glory. I was never looking for glamour. I was just looking to be faithful yeah. to that, to that what, I, what I felt appointed and called by God to do. It was a supernatural thing that was on me. And so in my own world, that's, that's how it kind of came together in studying, of course, the scriptures. So I never looked at it as a platform right. for me to have. I never, I never looked at it as a place for me as a female to have a voice. I was looking just to be faithful to the word of God and yeah. what was in, in my heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it goes back to the word minister or servant or deacon, diakonos, which is a... It's not the only term to describe people who are set apart to right, right, yes. preach the gospel. But it is a significant term. And you can't narrow it down at just deacon. Just a deacon, right. And it is a servant. You're serving others. Like Phoebe in Paul's list in chapter 16, yeah. she heads up the list of the people that Paul greets. And she's a, she's a diakonos. She's a servant. But um, just... Uh, I think we need to be careful with the way we apply the scripture, but there is something that I, I wanted to bring up and that has been kind of part of our persona, the two, the two of us of yeah. over the years, decades, is, is with Dr. Doug Fever, who was wow. a professor of mm -hmm. Greek and classics at Lehigh University many years. 
for those of you who know uh, William Albright, he was a student of William Albright, uh, the, the father of Nearestan studies in North America in the 20th century. So he was a formidable scholar. And he joined Youth of the Mission to, to start the University of the Nations there. And when we graduated from this program, uh, he, he talked about Priscilla and Aquila. And he saw us as a Priscilla and Aquila. And if you know the, uh, the text, it's in Acts 18. It's the end of 2 Timothy. But it's also in, Acts, in Romans 16 that they're, they're Paul's co-workers. And they are people who risked their necks for his life. And, and then when Apollos is preaching in Ephesus in Acts 18.24... He was an eloquent man, competent in the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke, he spoke and talked accurately the things concerning Jesus, <laughs> though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And, you know, you don't want to make a big deal of the designation. Aquila is obviously... The husband, Priscilla, the wife, they're from Pontus, which is Turkey, and lived in Rome. But oftentimes the designation Priscilla comes first. And I think that's an honorific. Commentators have noticed, have that, noticed and that. for sure. They've yeah. said this is honorific to Priscilla. And I just want to honor you, Donna, well, today, because you are a Priscilla that way, and you, I honor you. And... You, you do have a way to explain the word to people. And it's not a power grab. No, it's, no. Not, it's none it's, of that, as we said earlier. And, 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 but, you know, Doug Fever, he was not the last person no. to say to us that we are like Priscilla and Aquila as a team. There have been several people throughout our ministry together all of these years that have brought up the Priscilla and Aquila and something as recently as last week, actually. So, so I just find that that is a mark. That is a, that's a special appointment and a calling that the two of us have as a couple. So I was recognized individually, but then the beauty of it is that when you and I got married, we were recognized as a couple to our call to the scriptures. Yeah. And that's what is, that's, to me, is the beauty of our relationship and our marriage and it's what has kept us together. So yeah. Priscilla and Aquila, peace is lovely, but still people call us, Tom and Donna. It's never yeah. Donna and Tom. So right. let's just get that straight too, Tom. <laughs> okay. So, of course, the elephant is room is is First Timothy two, and that's going to be for another podcast. But what's First Timothy two, Tom? Well, it's the, Paul it says, say? "I permit no women to teach or have authority over men." Okay, so we will we will address that. In another time, in another place. So this is the preacher and the professor, and with the encouragement to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed because you know from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Amen and amen.